Welcome to another episode from Tales from the First Tee. I'm your host, Rich Easton, telling tales from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. This week, I'll rant about the encroachers. I'm not sure if this is the beginning of the end or the end of the beginning. But first, a segment that I call, What's Bothering Me This Week? No, it's not the world learning of Musk's evil plot to democratize worldwide communication. No, it wasn't a story about Vicki White on her last week on the job as a correction officer just days before retiring and collecting a pension. Helps to plan and execute a jailbreak for Casey White. Same last names. I don't know what the relationship is, but it's got to be pretty tight, right? They get found 11 days later. She takes her life and this guy... Casey gets to go back to prison. No, it's not Tom Brady's decision to become the highest paid sports announcer of all time after he hangs up his cleats. Fucking Tom Brady. And no, no, it's not even Putin's rant on the Nazi regime in Ukraine during his Victory Day speech. It's not even that. No, this week, what annoys me is, who the fuck can we trust? Oh, fuck. I can't believe you've done this. This week's CEO, Michael Vontatsos, is out after Biogen had to pull their Alzheimer miracle drug. And I know I'm butchering this, but I think it's Agilhelm or Aduhelm. Aduhelm. Anyway in response to Medicare's unwillingness to share the cost with patients because the trial results were inconclusive. Now, Biogen, in like a moonwalk-like response, claims that the drugs were effective despite the fact that their data had miscalculated. According to the website Rethink ALZ, 500,000 people are diagnosed for Alzheimer's every year. Now, I don't know if Rethink ALZ is a trusted source, but, you know, they certainly bought the Google search words. This drug, if effective, could make the difference in the quality of life for all of our loved ones. But here's, here's the rub. Who do we trust? Medicare or a large pharma company? According to research, the yearly cost to maintain a dose of this of this miracle drug, a Duhelm, was $56,000 a year. And then they didn't hit the numbers they were looking for. They couldn't get enough people to pay 56000 And Medicare was like, hey, we're not participating at that level. So January 1st, they reduced the price from 56000 to 28200 and then claim that 50,000 people are going to sign up. But here's the, here's the thing. They had inconclusive results, and Medicare is like, yeah, I don't care if you're charging only $26,000. 
We're not participating. And could you imagine the CEO standing up in front of a room of stockholders, basically saying, hey, look, over the last few months, we've listened to the feedback of our stakeholders, and now we're taking important actions to improve patient access to Agile Helm by dropping the price by 50%. It's FDA approved and Medicare rejected. Yeah, so who do you trust? The pharmaceutical company or a government-guided organization built to keep costs down to the bone. Just within this decade, we've had Elizabeth Holmes with Theranos lying to us about tests that they could never run. We also had the Sackler family from Purdue Pharmaceuticals that claimed that OxyContin was not addicting. You know, you either believe them or you believe this trusted government institution that serves the elders through a four-part program. And you'll tend to trust that four-part program until you have some kind of ailment or procedure that might not fit into one of the four boxes. Then it's a matter of, who do you trust? I don't trust nobody. I don't need What really annoys me the most is just the lack of transparency from both. Which means you just have to be your own advocate. Don't trust nobody. I don't need nobody else. And as messed up as his sons, I don't even trust myself. If you like the encroachers. The encroachers had taken advantage of a lull in activity on the golf course. So we're playing golf the other day in another one of these five-hour rounds at my favorite golf track in Charleston. So we're just a threesome. So in a perfect world, the round should take somewhere under four hours. I mean, there are a lot of bridges connecting marshland holes. So it takes a little bit longer to play than most courses. Also, there's just a lot of penalty for mishits. I personally don't see the joy in rushing fast play unless you lead a, a busy life and need to be somewhere else within three hours of teeing off. I get it. Some people have busy, agenda-filled lives, or maybe golf is the only getaway, um, and your time is short. I think that golf round timing is difficult to project, particularly if you're playing on a public or semi-private course, uh, unless you're the first group out. I mean, then you set your pace. When you tee off any time later, and the later in the day that you tee off, you just don't know what lies ahead, unless perhaps you're the starter that morning. And if you happen to start in the morning, and you start all these bachelor parties, wedding parties, reunions, neighborhood groups, and even some beginners, and you sit there for five hours, and you see what the pace of play is, and you still decide to go out in the afternoon in hopes that you're going to play under five hours, well, that's just crazy. Yeah, so, so what I'm trying to say is sometimes it's very hard to project how long it's going to take. And that's why we continue to always be surprised when it's slow. Yeah, and sometimes it just seems like it's taking forever. Like I've said before, imagine buying a bucket of balls going to the range and hitting that bucket over a five-hour period of time. You'd go absolutely bonkers. 
And I think that's the genesis of the encroachers. Now, the encroachers are the people that while you're playing, as slow as it is, you might be able to see a few groups ahead of you. You might be able to see the problem. And then you either deal with it or you stop playing. Or maybe you ask some of the groups in front of you if you could play through if you're a single, maybe two people. But if you're not two, you're three or four and you see it slow and you could see ahead of you, you know what the problem is. But the encroacher has such high anxiety and they've basically lost their patience and what they're going to do and what they did to us the other day is as you're waiting on the tee box and you're looking out and you could see a group in front of you on the fairway, you could see a group possibly just getting up to the green and another one that's just walking off. So you could see the delay. These people, so you can't do anything. You can't tee off. You have to wait, right? So these people come right up and they don't park their carts as far away as possible to give you space. They drive up into your space. Like they're almost right behind you on the tee box. Now, the only time that should happen is if you know them or sometimes on the first tee when there are just so many people, we'll just get the carts pulled out of the parking lot kind of in order so that each group knows when they're going to go forward. It quells anxiety and it also helps to manage carts, but on the golf course and when you're playing, when you're on the tee box, you don't want people driving up because sometimes people will drive up, they'll be playing music, they'll be talking on the phone, whatever the fuck they're doing to manage their own anxiety, it now encroaches on you. So now they're in your space. So what do you do? Well, it depends on who you are. And it also depends on how long they've been doing it and how badly, in other words, how interruptive are they? I happen to be watching this reel or TikTok about this hockey legend, Chris Nolan, who is one of the greatest enforcers in the game of hockey. This guy was tough as nails and took shit from nobody. As a matter of fact, ever since he got into the league, he had something to prove and that his will was greater than others' wills, right? He was a good hockey player. He was a great enforcer. Now imagine you're playing golf and you've lost your cool. You're highly anxious about how long it's going to play. You believe it's the foursome in front of you, like they're doing something wrong. And you pull up and you keep pulling up. And there is a guy like Chris Nolan who has no patience and who has something to prove. That would ruin your golf day. That would ruin your week, your month. It might end your career as a golfer. Not that you should be thinking about being fearful of doing things like that. There's just a respect in golf. There's just a protocol. There's no written rule about it. But you just know when you are riding and playing behind people, you stay out of their way as respectful as possible. So you play your game. And when you turn the corner and you can see that they are on the tee box you find a place to park by a tree or someplace far enough so that you're not their problem. And you hope people behind you do the same thing. I mean, have you ever hit a drive purposely in the slow group's direction in front of you just to send them a message? I mean, that's the artillery of an encroacher. An encroacher that's lost all sense of right and wrong. And maybe it's the alcohol talking. Maybe it's just a bully move because that person hasn't had their clock cleaned. Either way, it's a desperate act because 
that person just couldn't or wouldn't use words to solve their problems. So now this twosome behind us is encroaching. They've done it every hole since the second hole. And we get to the fifth hole and they pull up behind us. And I just look back and I'm thinking, let me help them understand what's happening in front of us. In other words, let me give them information. And maybe if they had a little bit more information, they could see that, okay, this is not going to get any better. So basically I gave them some information and I said, Hey, listen, guys, there are several groups in front of us and they're playing slowly. I'm not sure if they're beginners or if they're just having a bad day, but it's not just a group in front of us. It's at least the one ahead of them, probably one ahead of them. So you could take a risk and go up three holes, two to three holes in front of us in hopes that there's a gap and that they're the only slow players. Because sometimes it's like having a big truck in front of you on a two lane road. Doesn't matter what's in front of that truck. If you can't pass it, you're going to go as slow as that truck. So we give these guys that option. We say, hey, listen, you can go up three holes. I think there might be a gap, but I'm just here to say we're, we're going to kind of stay behind them until they get better. And then one of the guys in the carts, I think we know each other. And he just said, hey, I think you're the problem. At which time I laughed and said something like, you know what? Both could be true. They could be having a bad day and I stink. He started laughing. We both laughed. I pulled off and they never did that the rest of the round. So I think they got the hint. Like, look, we're all got to deal with this. So just enjoy yourselves. If you like the people you're with, then whether it's four hours or five hours, you're going to enjoy the time that you're spending with people. Now, I get when you have to wait like 10 to 15 minutes on every shot. You get out of your rhythm. That really wasn't the case here. It's just like there just was a little bit of waiting on tee boxes. Yeah, so I think there's a way to handle people who encroach. And I think it's an honest face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball honesty where people can see we all have this problem together and that I'm not your problem to hopefully quell them. And, and whatever you do, whatever you say with a smile is a, a lot better received than if you say something with a smirk or sarcastically. Is this the beginning of the end or just the end of the beginning? Three bad shots in a row, bunker to bunker to water. Three bad holes in a row, bogey, double bogey, triple with a lip out. It's like hitting for the cycle in baseball. Actually, it's just the opposite of that that happens and it leads to three consecutive bad rounds of golf it's a call to action if this continues i need to start thinking about and looking for another hobby once you start thinking that way your phone starts to begin to alert you about new hobbies friends groups that endorse their hobbies and online shops that will help you equip yourself for that hobby and then Like all my media sites start buzzing with hobby enthusiasts that are just seemingly loving life. So you start thinking, hey, that's intriguing. I mean, I was at the beach the other day. They're kiteboarding. That's intriguing, but there's no way I'm doing that. 
So maybe something else. So I started thinking about boating and fishing. Yeah, those would be obvious hobbies. Now all I see are boater and fisher people on my streams, and their hobbies just seem to be far less stressful if you're not drunkenly crashing your boat or tangling your lines. Life seems pretty stressless, but now I have to learn the ropes. I have to learn the tides in the low country. I got to look for good fishing spots and now a new circle of friends. Or I can try and reverse the bad golf trend and grow my golf friend group. Wait, all I have to do is just to get better at golf and wish that? Or do I start a fitness program, a diet program and more practice? Do I expand and continue to highlight more friends groups? That would mean more playing. So, I mean, those seem like obvious choices. So yeah, this is the end of the beginning, not anywhere near the beginning of the end. You ever notice that good friends do crazy things? I up with Mike Kay and Dr. Les Payne this week, and we agreed upon this skins game because, you know, when you play games with three people, you could play nines, a game of nines, a game of sixes. And we just decided, let's keep this thing simple. And, you know, when you play sixes or nines, you just don't know what the damage is until you get to the very end, unless you want to do all the bookkeeping. So it just so happens that none of us had been playing well lately. Perfect. Nothing better than getting three guys with similar handicaps playing their worst. Everyone's looking to find that swing thought, that feel like the ball in your club head are one. For my ally is the force, and the powerful ally it is. The confidence that you know you could crack a drive, smooth a wedge, or drain a 20-footer whenever you need to. Golfers are always in search of perfect, even though golf is a game of imperfect. So our duel starts. We seem to be evenly matched, but none of us are sucking the way we've sucked the last few weeks or last few times out. We're actually playing a little bit better. We're tying the first four holes. So at least two of us are tying the low. Then we get to the fifth, fifth hole. Mike K sinks a putt. He wins all five first skins. I'm like, okay, game on. We're getting better. Now we're playing on and we're tying, we're tying, we're tying. We get to the 10th. Dr. Les Payne sinks a putt, wins, wins the hole with a par. He's now, he's on the board. He's got four. So now we step onto the 11th tee box. I'm down by 10 skins with eight to play. So I announce to these two rubes, look, there are eight holes left. If I win all eight, you guys owe me a combination of six bucks. It's never about the money. Sure, $100 sounds better and spends better, but having to shell out any amount of money is symbolic of a loss and vice versa. So after a good laugh at my expense, we tee it up. 11, 12, 13, 14, 17, and 18. I win six out of the eight remaining holes. Now, after winning four holes in a row, I surmised that these two might have conspired to let me back in the match. You know, it's not like, and when I got back in the match, it's not like I'm winning with birdies, but I'm winning with pars. 
I totally fuck up 15 with three in the bunker until one of the other guys just calls it. I mean, even they couldn't fake a loss on that hole. It wasn't until my backdoor hole out on the 18th hole for a par and for a win did I realize this wasn't charity. I actually started to turn it around. Each one of us had a run at winning. That's what happens when you put three good golfers experiencing a horrible slump into a game together. I always find it funny that golf competitors, mostly golf buddies, pull each other out of the abyss just when you think, this is it, I'm going to quit, I'm going to start boating. And all of a sudden, you play with the right people, your game comes back, and you put your whole boating experience on hold. You've been listening to another episode from Tales from the First Tee. I'm your host, Rich Easton, telling tales from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. Talk to you soon.